This is a Broad Pods production. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the reward-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Broad Radio. For Women's Health Week. A broad radio pop-up show for Jean Hales for Women's Health. Hello and welcome to a special pop-up show of Broad Radio for Women's Health Week in partnership with Jean Hales for Women's Health. My name is Jo Stanley. <laughs> I almost forgot my own name then. <laughs> and my co-host today is the brilliant Zoe Daniel. Hi there, Zoe. <laughs> Hey, Joe. It's just locked down brain. That's fine. It's a real thing, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, my yep. God. So <laughs> Women's Health Week is all about prioritising our health, which traditionally I think women are really bad at. How do you think you go, Zoe, at that? Uh, not so well. You know, I think it's very easy to prioritise everyone else's needs over your own and your family your extended family and your workplace and I've been very guilty of that having had a very busy job and juggling family life over you know the lifetime of my kids so almost 15 years now my son's almost 15 but you know Joe, it's interesting we had a chat with um, Jean Hale's organization a, a couple of weeks ago and actually after that ch- chat I thought you know, I really need to take responsibility for a couple of things that have been niggling at me that perhaps out of lack of time or or fear, really, I just hadn't dealt with. So I got myself on the front foot to the GP and went and had some tests, which came back with a good outcome. And so now that weight is off me. Oh, I love hearing mm. that. And isn't that right? Mm. Like you, you, you fret and fret and fret and put it off because we put everybody in front of us. And then when you go and, and you at least get it sorted out, oh, the relief of it. And you think, why didn't I do that six months ago? Totally. You know, and the, these health niggles, you know, they're, they're the kind of thing you wake up in the middle of the night and you think, oh, what if that is something? And then you just put it to the back of your mind and you can't deal with it. And no one likes going and having invasive medical tests, Hmm. seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, in this case, the specialist said to me, well, you know, people aren't queuing up to go in and have this procedure. But that that sense of relief, you know, it is like going to the dentist or the accountant. You feel Mm -hmm. so virtuous after you've done it. (laughs) And you also think, God, I could have saved myself months of stress if I'd done this 
before. But equally, you know, if the outcome is not great, um, it's much better to know so that action can be taken rather than mm-hmm. worrying about something for too long. Absolutely. Well, that's that's mm. what Women's Health Week is all about. And all of this week, we are bringing you a live show at one o'clock every day covering the five themes of Women's Health Week. And we are doing it in partnership with um, Jean House for Women's Health. If you don't know Jean House for Women's Health, they are a national organisation, not-for-profit, that are all about promoting and improving women's health at every stage. And as I said, today is all about tricky periods. They have a huge amount of resources at their website, jeanhales.org. Check them out. Thank you so much for joining us on today's show. We have Isabel Marshall, who is Young Australian of the Year and co-founder of Taboo. Hi there, Isabel. Hi, thanks for having me. So lovely to see you. And gynaecologist and medical doctor of Jean House for Women's Health, Dr. Elizabeth Farrell. Hi there, Liz. Hi there, Joe. Nice to see you both and it, Isabel. It's lovely to have the four of us on the screen and isn't technology amazing? Um, <laughs> so I was thinking that it's interesting how um, this is the first time I've ever spoken on camera about periods really i'm guessing zoe in all the breadth of your career you've not ever spoken openly about periods on camera i cannot recall ever doing it before joe yet it it's is the a first thing. for everything well that's right but it's a thing that happens to 50 percent of the population and we can all remember that moment when we got our first period for me i was on camp very annoyingly uh over a christmas holiday Everyone was swimming and I was not. That's my biggest memory of it. What what about Mm. you, Zoe, Isabel, you remember? Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I I was a big horse horse rider when I was a kid and I was up at at the farm, so sort of out on limb there. But I would say, Joe, that my parents split up when I was sort of in my early teens and I was largely living with my father in a single-parent household, but... My mum, uh, previously when I was quite young, was very forthright, um, open and forthcoming about periods. So she had me well prepared with my bag packed for several years and it had been very fully explained what to expect. So I was quite lucky, I think, generationally mm. um, to be in that position given that you know I was out in a remote area when I did get my period for the first time, but mum had me organized and I remember she said to me because we weren't living together she said to me several weeks later oh have you got your period yet and I said oh yeah mum I've had it for like two three months and she actually burst into tears because I didn't tell her because it was such a significant moment um in my life that she knew you know reaching womanhood and she kind of wanted to to share that with me but I was pretty blasé about it because she prepared me so well so well, that, that is that generationally yeah I think generationally that's quite different Isabel you are much younger mm-hmm. than us uh do you remember what was your experience like I was a little bit later than a lot of my friends um so I was quite I was really excited I was anticipating it with a lot of positivity I was at a girls school so perhaps that um that contributed to my lack of I guess shame or embarrassment or nervousness for it Um, But I do specifically remember it was the night of one of our uh, school musicals 
and um, I was getting ready for it at a friend's house, my best friend in like middle school. And she noticed that I was a little bit clumsier and a little bit off. And for some, she, she was so insightful. We obviously were very um, in sync. She, uh, she told me that she thought I would get my period that night. And, and so she gave me a pad just um, in case. And as I was running onto stage, it started. Oh <laughs> so I have her to thank. <laughs> That's amazing. Everyone has a story. So Liz, you are a generation above us. What was it like for you? I can't remember <laughs> um, exactly when I had the first period, but uh, I wasn't told very much at all. Um, my parents were elderly and, in fact, my father passed away before I had my first period. And But I can remember that mum made me pads um, and I had a sort of menstrual belt and these fabric pads were made out of, um, I think one side was uh, terry toweling and the other side was like flannelette and you folded them up and then you put them over this suspender belt with a, with a big safety pin and um, they were horrible, absolutely horrible. And I don't know whether my mother even knew that you could purchase any menstrual pads at all. I have no idea. This would have been, um, let me think, uh, it would have been about late 50s uh, when my first period started. I think it was I was about 11. And I really didn't have any information whatsoever, to be honest. I think somebody might have... Some friend might have talked about periods happening or something, but I was quite young and uh, in those days not that many and you didn't talk about it. Nobody talked about it. But you have these dreadful pads, fabric pads sitting between your legs and they chafe and to actually change them you had to have some sort of big bag in your school bag and some, somehow to put put the dirty ones in and then you had to take them home and bring, you know, wash them like, like a nappy. Mm. But they were recyclable. Mm, so interesting how periods have changed over the years and now uh, both Zoe and, I, Zoe and I have daughters and I try to be as open with my daughter as much as I can. I remember the first time I told her what periods were, she was horrified but on the same day, she discovered Beyonce. So I kind of said to her, you know what, babe? There's the good and bad <laughs> with being a woman. <laughs> We've got periods, but yes, we have Beyonce as well. So, <laughs> so the world is okay in her books. But I want to know, how do we sell this as a positive thing to our daughters? Because it's a pretty hard sell. I don't want to make it negative, but it feels like um, there's not a lot of good about it. Could I comment first and yes. say that there are all these particular events in people's lives that are seen as rites of passage, um, you know, uh, in various different cultures, there are these rites of passage. But it's sort of like that menstruation is not actually enjoyed or celebrated, but it definitely is a major rite of passage for all women 
Yeah, I, I would add to that um, and say it's definitely up to us as, um, well, I, I'm 23, so I can't say the older generation, but it's definitely up to us who are creating the resources and engaging in the conversation and initiating the conversation with the people younger than us to reframe it as a, using positive tones and po positive vocabulary um, and celebratory vocabulary as well. Um, I view periods as an incredible um, physical manifestation of someone's uh, strong body and their ability to carry a baby, which is, well, their, their body is in a position that is, um, is healthy and strong enough to carry a baby. And I think that that's um, absolutely admirable and exciting um, and miraculous. And I think that um, that we need to use those sorts of words. Um, and I think that the power of tone and, and vocabulary um, and uh, the way that we say things um, does have an impact, especially on young people who are very um, intuitive and sensitive to the nuances. I'm curious, Isabel, um, you know, I've sort of recounted my mother's pragmatic approach to, to periods and my mum was very young when I was born. She was only 20. Um, so whether that made a, a difference, her, her, her youth um, as, as I was growing up, it was a more like a sister relationship in, in some ways because she was so young. But I've noticed with my daughter who has recently gotten her, her period that I felt in a way quite sad about it, well, very mixed feelings, like sad and happy because it, it's a rite of passage, as Liz says, but also it shows that she's growing away from me in, in, a, in a way. Um, but I, I don't think she found it a particularly emotional experience at all. In fact, she was completely pragmatic about it, much as probably I was at the same age. Do, do you think that's changed among young girls, like the, the ability to talk about it between themselves, the, the level of embarrassment, the degree of pragmatism? I think, um, I think that... Stigma and shame, especially in Australia and Adelaide, where I'm from, um, is slowly um, being worn away, I guess. And I think that over time, um, an understanding of the menstrual cycle um, and our level of education uh, really correlates to whether we can see periods um, as biologically significant and important. Um, and then perhaps that... I guess correlates to a more pragmatic approach to them. Um, I know, well, I, I don't personally know, but in centuries past, when 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 periods weren't understood, over time the level of um, reproductive understanding certainly has empowered individuals, but also a community as a whole to be able to view periods as a very um, significant and um, vital biological process, as opposed to this kind of mythical. Um, thing that could be a punishment for women um it could be um and neg have negative connotations but that understanding i think i don't know if that has directly um correlated to your daughter's um understanding mm. and relationship to her period but perhaps it has <laughs> mm. liz have you seen a shift in how women uh you know, and, and this stigma surrounding a conversation about periods, has that shifted over your time in, as a doctor? I think that women are more inclined to talk about periods and their reproductive um, problems in the consulting room. 
But my experience with younger women is that it definitely depends on their education and it depends on uh, their relationships with their parents and that there is still a lot of myth and misinformation out there about periods and menstruation and just plain reproductive biology. I don't think that uh, that knowledge is actually improved overall. And I'm not sure whether Isabel could comment on that. Yeah, I think you would know more than I do as a, as a doctor. I think with, with Instagram, for example, with social media, I think um, issues like endometriosis have had a bigger platform um, and certainly people having an ability to use various platforms like podcasts, like social media, like this, um, has meant that they can share their own personal experiences and people can feel empowered by, um, by relating their own experiences to those experiences as well. And the great thing about those platforms is that they're so accessible um, and, um, and, and also very inclusive. So it really makes a difference as to how confident someone feels about um, the legitimacy of their own experiences as, as well. Well, we've actually had a comment on Facebook already from someone who says there needs to be more awareness of what a normal period is. So I think that speaks to what you're saying, Liz, that we might speak about, you know, just generally or, you know, openly with our friends or whatever. And more and more it's been accepted that you'll see advertising that's perhaps, you know, reflecting a true experience of having a period. But uh, Tim Anna Jordan tells us that uh, she was in her late 20s before she found out my heavy bleeding was not normal. So I think understanding actually what is normal is perhaps not as well spoken about or as, as even, you know, shared amongst each of us. Uh, I think that we have to remember, as with most of biology, that normal means a range a range of a cycle. So a normal period will range from about 21 to 35 days in the broad range. And the average duration would be around about 28, but 29 days. So a normal period is actually within a range. The amount that we bleed is also within a range. And it's very important uh, that women understand and young women understand that there isn't just one type of pattern. So some people will have a little bit of cramping that responds to some period pain medication. They may pass some clots, but they're small. Uh, they may change a pad or a tampon or a menstrual cup uh, a few times a day and they may not need to uh, change a pad or whatever they use at night. Uh, they're able to get through the night. And I think that that's a sort of broad, normal range of what a menstrual cycle is. But it's not just that one pattern. And we're going to get to some actual questions around, you know, gynecological uh, ins and outs and all the different uh, conditions that can happen. But I wanted to ask, Zoe, because someone has commented here, don't we need to speak more openly with girls and boys as well? And so you've got a son and a daughter. Does the conversation then mm -hmm. get taken across to your son? 
No, it's really interesting question, actually. And I was just sort of just thinking back to those early days of high school when the boys would be sort of sniggering at the girls who um, sort of said, oh, I can't do PE today or I can't do swimming. And there was always that sort of whispering and, and finger pointing. And I'm, I'm curious whether that still happens. I mean, it is interesting to me that I've had so many open conversations with my daughter about not only periods, but, you know, reproductive rights and all sorts of um, issues relating to uh, women and our, and our bodies and um, sexism and how we interact with men and all those sorts of things. Um, but in, in terms of that physical aspect, no. I mean, I, I don't think I've had conversations with my son about it other than in the context of his own responsibilities when it comes to um, other girls and, you know, um, sexual issues, um, rights of women and all those sorts of things and contraception. So, you know, they're not exactly dinner table conversations still, <laughs> are they? <laughs> No, I wouldn't imagine, although I don't have a son, so I don't suppose. But I guess, though, when the kind of work you're doing, Isabel, which is about breaking down uh, the stigma around periods and, and, and working towards end period poverty, so much of the conversation needs to include men in power as well, doesn't it? Absolutely. So, yeah, just to give a bit of context, um, my best friend from high school and I started a business and, and we sell organic cotton pads and tampons. And all of our um, all of our net profits and all of our advocacy efforts, campaigning efforts, education initiatives are all centered around eradicating period poverty. Um, so with our profit model, um, that is directed towards overseas projects in Sierra Leone and Uganda, uh, because in those areas, about 30% of girls drop out of school as soon as they get their period. So there's um, very specific information relating to the role that periods play um, in shortening um, a menstruator's schooling, um, education, and then obviously flow on effects with employment um, and um, that which really just fuels the poverty cycle and the gender inequality and disempowerment of women. So that's, um, but saying that, uh, period poverty certainly exists in Australia too. Only recently Share the Dignity did uh, a huge survey of 125,000 women um, and it certainly highlighted that uh, people miss school because of their period on a regular basis. There's a real lack of education um, in schools, in workplaces. Um, and then of course there's talk about menstrual leave and whether that's a legitimate, um, a, a legi a legitimate option that employers should offer their employees. Um, and they're all quite controversial topics because um, periods in general have been controversial for a long time, well, stigmatised and, and shamed. But, um, yeah, I think the reason that we, that we partnered with the organisation that we did in Sierra Leone and Uganda was because so much of their program um, was centred around the education of boys and girls in those um, school years. Uh, and that was directly to to address the stigma and the shame because the stigma and the shame um, complicates the whole situation so much, uh, especially in those contexts when uh, when this bodily process is stigmatized, when um, the menstruators would use 
say, reusable cloths but not be able to dry the reusable cloths when they wash them because um, because of the fear of people seeing them out in the open. And so those cloths would be dried under the, bed, uh, under the beds, which are an unhygienic um, environment, often often dark and warm and then um, predisposes the risk of infection um, and unhyped like bacterial growth and things like that. So that's just one example of the reason that stigma and shame can um, perpetuate the complications uh, involved in period poverty. But then you're right, even in Australia, um, when we consider that policy change and structural changes uh, that we need to make to accommodate um, periods at every level, whether that be through infrastructure, uh, through education programs, um, the distribution of, of period products so that people can uh, maintain their schooling and maintain their employment, uh, then the first step is to open up the conversation uh, between general members of the public so that it becomes normalised and so that then it can filter through um, the, the structures that are responsible for policy change um, and setting those different standards for our school places, workplaces. Wow. Isabel, you're a very impressive young woman and you make me feel like our future is in good hands. Thank you. Thanks. Honestly, um, we are going to get to some very specific questions, uh, largely for you, Dr. Elizabeth, um, in, in and around periods and um, menopause. A lot of people want to know questions around menopause and everything in between. Um, we're going to take a little bit of a break. If you are new to Broad Radio, we do broadcast every Tuesday morning at 9am. And here's a little bit about what we do. Broad Radio, talking inspo we love, info we need and sharing more of us. Watch and listen live every Tuesday 9am Australian Eastern Standard Time at broadradio.com.au or find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn at Broad Radio Oz. Talk to us live. Call or text on 1300 8 Broad. Catch up on demand anytime, anywhere, every time, everywhere. On the train, we'll be here. 2am existential crisis, we've got you covered. Broad Radio, here for more. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST.
All right, we are talking periods on this tricky periods Tuesday for Women's Health Week, thanks to Jean House for Women's Health. And uh, we've been getting questions throughout the week, actually, and we have got Sheridan on the phone who's going to ask you a question, and I'm telling you I'm multitasking right now, okay, as I answer this call. So as you heard, I've got a little bit of pandemic brain here, but hello, Sheridan, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hello, how are you? Hi, Sheridan. It's great to hear you. You've got a question for Dr. Liz. Uh, yeah, I just had a question um, just around uh, menopause because um, I think I'm starting. Um, well, I do know I have been, but I just want to know how I know when it's kind of finished because or when it's complete because I have a period then I won't have one for months and then suddenly another one will arrive. So um, I'm just not certain what happened. That's a very tricky question, Sheridan, because no one can tell you. Uh, There's no way of knowing exactly when that final menstrual period will take place. But the longer it is between the two, your periods, the likelihood that it's going to happen sooner than later. And there's no test Mm -hmm. we can do. So it's a real issue. But because some women will have regular periods and just one day they'll stop and they don't even realise that it's going to stop on that last period. But most women will have uh, decreasing frequency of periods. So it can be months and months between them. And then you'll know when you've had your final period when you haven't had one for 12 months. Oh, okay, 12 months, right. But is it true, Liz, that you can have, because you can have really heavy periods and you can have really light periods and that sort of toing and froing when you're going through perimenopause? Is that a common experience? Yes, it's true. And the reason for that is that not every cycle will be ovulatory. Uh, In other words, Mm -hmm. that the egg will will be popped out in whatever time of the cycle it's going to happen. Um, And some cycles will be anovulatory, so no ovulation. And that allows the lining of the uterus to thicken a bit because it means that you're producing estrogen but not producing estrogen and progesterone. And so consequently the lining can get thicker and then when you have a period after that anovulatory cycle it can be heavier and that also has an issue in that if it's very heavy it could be and you've been having a number of cycles that have been anovulatory and you may not know that can mean that there's something going on in the lining and it's getting too thick and you need to do something about that and see your gp Mm. okay has that been helpful for you, Sheridan? Oh, yes, it has been. At least I know that it's normal. <laughs> it is tricky, though, when you start saying things like, oh, you need to see your GP if, if this or that, or how do we ever know when we need to see our GP? Mm. Well, you need to know when things are abnormal. It's a bit like the young girl who has to take time off school. That's not normal. That's not normal. That means that the period is either too heavy, too painful, or both. And mm-hmm. that young girl needs to go and see her GP and be and be assessed to make sure that, one, she's not iron deficient, and secondly, is there a cause for these heavy periods or for the pain? And she can then be given a particular process of management and to see that she's not missing school. So um, in one sense, how do we know? It's about knowing what is normal for you 
and that's unique to every woman. And then if there's an abnormality out of outside of your normal, mm. then that's when you go and say, look, this is not normal for me and I want to make sure that there isn't something else going on. And that's really, it's about what's your norm. I have one Is more question a... on behalf of you, Sheridan, in this yes. uh, perimenopausal sort of time. Can you get pregnant during this time? Oh, good question. <laughs> I know, I don't want to freak you out. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there's some very interesting research work that was done in Sydney and it showed that in the perimenopause, and this is one of the myths, women can ovulate twice in a cycle and the second oh time God. can be during a period. Oh. That's so unfair. <laughs> We're all sitting here in shock right now. <laughs> Just to make life more complicated. <laughs> Contraception is very important in the perimenopause up until after that final period. And if a woman is over 50 for 12 months after the final period, but if she's under 50, we recommend contraception for two years after the final period. Wow. Wow, okay. Oh, my God, Sheridan, I had no idea the question I was asking and how important that was. Good question. Yeah, I know. Well, um, thanks so much for your call. It's been really no interesting. <laughs> you have a great thanks day. Thanks very much for your help. Thank oh, you, you no. team. Um, I have another question for you from uh, YouTube. What about preparing oh. for menopause such as food to eat or avoid extra vitamins to take, anything like that, Liz? It's a very interesting question and, and I think a very important question. We've been talking a little bit about menstrual myths and stigma and societal uh, norms in different, society, in different groups and cultures. Uh, in terms of the perimenopause and things like diet and vitamin, in some Asian cultures, the women completely change their diet when they get to the menopause. Um, and it's about optimising the, the healthy diet. It's about making sure that um, you're keeping yourself fit. So fitness uh, is not necessarily related to weight, but fitness uh, and a healthy diet that corresponds to having lots of uh, different types of food, particularly a balance of coloured foods, um, having a look on our Gene Hales website will tell you a little bit about foods and um, nutrition and you can see what you can do to maximise uh, around the perimenopause. Now, some people would say that if you eat lots of foods that contain plant estrogens um, and they can be in the grasses, so alfalfa uh, and then soy, um, different types of soy foods and then the pulses and beans and things like that, that this is a very healthy diet and may help uh, your general sense of well-being uh, and may make your life a little bit better in the perimenopause. And Liz, is that uh, sort of dietary approach something that 
young girls can apply or women through childbearing age as well? Are there particular things that you could be eating in the lead up to a period or during a period that will help support your health, energy, etc.? That's also a very, a very good question because I think that um, one of the things that is really underdiagnosed in young women and, and, well, all reproductive age women really, is iron deficiency and that women think that a heavy period, which is their norm, is actually, uh, can actually be depleting their iron on a, on a period monthly basis. So really looking at iron containing foods and of course, the red meats are by far uh, the foods that have the highest uh, amount of iron in it. So young women who are um, vegetarian or even vegan are at a greater risk of developing iron deficiency, particularly if their periods are uh, heavier. So yes, looking at those sorts of foods perimenstrually before the period is, is important. Are there things that we can do to assist with PMS? Oh, another very important question. It's very interesting because um, I was involved with setting up a menstrual and uh, so a PMS and menopause clinic at the old Queen Vic Hospital in, in Melbourne that no longer exists but in Lonsdale Street in the early 80s. And we seemed to see so many women with PMS and then for a number of years, they didn't seem to be, well, I didn't see them. And uh, we didn't seem to have many uh, coming or being referred to our, our clinic out at Clayton at Monash Medical Centre. But in recent years at Jean Hales, we have had so many women presenting with PMS. And I'm wondering if that's because of life stresses uh, or what it is that has created this uh, almost, well, it's not epidemic, but there is such an increase in the number of women presenting with severe premenstrual symptoms. So what can women do? Well, the most important thing is that you want to be altering, as it were, the brain chemistry. And one of the ways of doing that is with exercise and some people would maximise their exercise premenstrually, which is not what most premenstrual women want to do, but it is what they should do because that will help to get all of the uh, neuroendocrine chemicals, so the brain chemicals working, and will help to reduce some premenstrual symptoms. Um, maximising calcium in one's diet, not necessarily taking a supplement, but maximising calcium in your diet is also something that women can help. And there are some herbal remedies and then there are other treatments with prescriptive uh, therapies that can be used for PMS. Back in the 80s, we uh, did a study on using cognitive behavioural therapy uh, for PMS and that seemed to, in that study, work quite well as as well. So there are a number of modalities that, that women can use. And what about 
more extreme gynecological concerns, I know it's very difficult to touch on these sorts of things lightly and, and we haven't got a huge amount of time, but when we're talking about things like endometriosis and PCOS and, and also premenstrual dysphoric disorder, how can women who are experiencing much more extreme uh, conditions firstly find the right sort of advocacy for themselves and, and what do you recommend to really step through addressing those issues? I think that um, if we look at premenstrual dysphoric disorder, um, it's a very severe condition that can impact in, incredibly on women's lives and on their uh, families as well and, and their, the people that they work with. And it's, it's very difficult to look at what the major issues are. Very often it can be uh, an interplay also with uh, mood disorders as well and they may have they may have a history of other uh, changes, but if they've got purely a premenstrual dysphoric disorder, then um, we, we have to look at what that means in terms of what causes PMS. And as far as we now know, it's an interaction between brain chemicals uh, in the second half of the menstrual cycle. So therefore it's related to progesterone. And that means that ovulation has taken place. And theoretically, women should not have PMS or PMDD if they're not ovulating. So suppressing ovulation is one way of treating PMDD. So we would use perhaps one of the oral contraceptive pills to do that. Sometimes also um, using a group of the antidepressants which have been um, uh, studied back in the 90s. A lot of the data was published on that. And there is some further work which is probably still at a research level looking at different metabolites or anti-metabolites of uh, progesterone. Um, so really that's where we're at at the moment. But these women need a lot of support so often having some psychological support is helpful as well as perhaps a medical support as well. And that obviously uh, is the same for women who experience any kind of more extreme condition like endometriosis and, and PCOS. It's about finding the right specialist and care for you, which of course Jean Hales is there to assist you with, which is one of the reasons why we love Jean Hales for Women's Health so much. I mean, this whole conversation, I'm just thinking how, and particularly for your generation, Liz, when you were, uh, you know, even just managing periods back then was such a very time consuming, burdensome thing. And I always think whenever you're rushing for a meeting and you get your period and you got to sort that out. And I always think to myself, no man who's going to this meeting is having to deal with this. You know, you can't ever deny the fact that menstruation is a thing that whether it disadvantages us, it's certainly an extra layer to what we have to do. And certainly Zoe, you were a foreign correspondent how did you manage being in what I now know from things you've told me as things like, you know, natural disasters and war zones and all those sorts of things, as well as having a period? 
Well, you know, what Isabel's doing really resonates with me, Joe, because I've travelled in so many developing countries and, and worked with and interacted with so many women who are living in very difficult circumstances where, you know, access to hygiene products for starters is an issue, access to clean water is an issue, access to to soap is an issue, um, you know, replacing things is not easy, money is short, money is sometimes non-existent. And then when you overlay on top of that uh, conflict, war, civil unrest, um, you know, dictatorship, um, you know, things that are innately disadvantaging to women at a lot of, uh, in a lot of cases, um, you know, it makes life really hard for women. And, you know, having had a small taste of existing in those sorts of environments in the short term, natural disasters is another one, your period's always going to come at the worst possible time as a, a foreign correspondent when you're not in a position to, to easily wash for example, when you don't have access to, to the things that you need. Um, and it, it, to me, I have been in that situation of, and I've had to navigate that in some incredibly difficult circumstances where hygiene particularly has been almost impossible to execute. But it just actually makes you realise that there are women who exist in those environments all around the world all the time who are grappling with those complexities in their daily life. And, and I think that's why what Isabel's doing is so impressive because, you know, it's hard enough for us as women who live in Australia in a very generally civilised environment, notwithstanding that there are people, you know, in difficult circumstances, particularly in Indigenous communities. But overall, we can go to a, a shop and get what we need. We have clean running water and, and all those sorts of things. And there, there are many people in um, disadvantaged circumstances for their entire life who are still grappling with this most basic of issues. Mm, yes. And I would encourage you to check out Share the Dignity and um, there are some amazing organisations out there that really uh, do as much as they can to end period poverty and um, uh, donate to them because uh, that goes, you know, to creating period packs for women and trans people facing homelessness and, you know, there's a lot of a lot of people that we walk past every day who are struggling with this. So uh, I'd encourage you to donate if you can. I tell you, the other thing that I love is how your generation, Isabel, is changing the way we are having periods because of sustainability. It's, it's amazing because Zoe and I are from the tampon generation. Where you just, I mean, for God's sake, we used to flush them. Like that was, you know, at least we've learned not to do that now. But um, Isabel, it's extraordinary what, what you're doing and thinking about how we can have periods in a sustainable way. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So right now our range of products is um, our 100% organic cotton pads and 100% organic cotton tampons. Um, and when we were starting to boo and, and contacting different manufacturers to create our private label, um, we our, our top priority for the product was having an organic cotton uh, product. Um, and we stumbled across this factory actually in Spain uh, and they, they also run off of hydroelectricity uh, and they use, uh, well, their, their product is completely biodegradable because it's 100% organic cotton and then their uh, packaging is made from recycled cardboard that's recyclable as well. So that was a huge priority for us um, and that's because we knew 
that it was the healthiest option for consumers but also for the planet. And also uh, because we knew that our generation was going to be demanding it in the future as well um, and that that is going to become a standard. But at the same time, it's, um, it's a standard that has a premium price and there are certainly other um, options as well that people can consider for sustainably dealing with their period, things like menstrual cups, uh, period underwear, um, and we're really hoping to expand our range um, to include those products as well uh, when the financials permit. <laughs> but, um, yeah, there's. I think our generation is certainly changing um, what we expect from the, the big brands that we buy from, uh, whether that be the environmental impact that they have, uh, but also the impact upon um, people or, um, across the whole supply chain, uh, the people uh, putting the product together, um, and the people in the offices, in the factories, and everyone um, along that whole process. So, yeah, I think the standards are definitely changing, um, and definitely for the um, for the betterment of our yeah world and environment. Can I make a comment about menstrual cups? Um, I think they're fantastic, and also they're a way of uh, a woman realizing that her period is heavy. So. Some of the earliest research showed that an abnormal period is more than 80 mils. So if you've got a, a, a menstrual cup, you can actually measure how much blood you act and fluid you actually lose per period. And then you've got an option to go and then seek out some help if it's more than 80 mils because then you need to find out about that. So I think menstrual cups are fabulous. But I was looking around and I found one. This is a menstrual cup. It says it's a Menzies cup and it's, um, it says Shanghai Number no. 6 Rubber Products Factory. And when you open it up, it's all written in Chinese. Can I get it in the... Yes, in the... I'll go just, yep, the up, up a touch. There you go. <laughs> and it's got a plug on the end and you just pull the plug out and drain it. So potentially, I suppose it can just stay in there. It looks like you, it might sit out. I'll just move backwards. That's it. Um, it. It might sit out or be right down at your vaginal entrance because it's quite reasonably long. But I thought that's a very interesting and old version of the menstrual cup from China. Wow. Liz, I've got to say, we've gone from never having spoken about periods on camera to pulling out a menstrual cup. <laughs> We're not going to demonstrate how to use it. We'll draw the line there. <laughs> um, ladies, thank you so much. It's been really illuminating to have this conversation and I think also really important. Um, let's wrap up by just asking, I want to ask actually all three of you, what would you like to see different about the conversation about around periods or around what we're telling our daughters or what they're learning? What would you like to see different? I'll start with you, Liz. Um, I would like to see more community education. And I think, I, I think that um, education starts in the family, but a lot of parents are leaving it up to the schools to do, and overall the schools aren't doing it very well. There used to be different um, reproductive um, programs, and I think that needs to be updated 
so that young uh, women and men know about periods, know how to respect women when they're menstruating, and that women also know uh, when to seek health. I think we should be out there saying this is a normal part of biology, should be out there on the billboards, that sort of thing. I think we need to normalise it in that way. If it offends people, well, it's normal biology. Mm. It's like having a baby. It's like going and having a wee, going and opening your bowels. I mean, they're all normal things that we need to absolutely normalise. Love it. Uh, Zoe, what would you like to see change? What, what difference would you like to see? Um, I think just aff affordability of menstrual products and environmental friendliness of menstrual products um, in on that side. And then the other thing I think is engaging boys. And, you know, now that we've had this conversation and during it I've thought a little bit about how I engage my son on this, that I'll be taking that step directly because it's important that, that he gets it. Mm. And Isabel, last word to you. So yeah, I completely agree with the accessibility of products. Um, we always liken um, menstrual products, period products, to toilet paper. Um, and toilet paper you can always expect to find in schools, in workplaces, in public facilities. Um, and, yeah, considering that there's been substantial information to show that even in Australia people are missing out because of their period, um, I think that it needs to be accommodated for in those spaces. Um, I also think that the educational resources need to be um, revamped. I think the curriculum needs to accommodate those conversations and classes um, more obviously and uh, probably a bit, a bit more specifically as well um, so that there's more framework um, that the schools can, can work around. Um, and, yeah, that would absolutely include uh, educating the boys um, and perhaps that resources for parents and stuff because that conversation does need to be taken into the home as well. Well, thank you so much. This has been an amazing conversation. Uh, Dr Elizabeth Farrell and uh, Isabel Marshall, so great to have you on Broad Radio. Zoe, awesome as always to have you as a part of Broad Radio. It's a joy. Thank you so much. Thank you Always a pleasure, Joe. Uh, yeah. We'll be back tomorrow with a, our next conversation, our next pop-up show for Women's Health Week. We're going to be talking about sex at any age. So um, that's going to be another illuminating conversation and we can't wait. We'll see you then at one o'clock tomorrow. Thanks so much. We'll have more Broad Radio then. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.